THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 536 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, nerds. My name is Matt Baum. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing a bunch of Wednesday, July 10th's new comics with spotlight reviews of Unearth number one and Second Coming number one. After that, we'll review eight more of this week's comics while celebrating with the ladies' U.S. World Cup team during the ludicrous speed round, and then... It is down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're channeling the spirit of an all-but-forgotten Stranger Things character to talk about our must-read picks for next week, and finally... I've never forgotten. Nerd at the Movies is back with our Spider-Man Far From Home definitive review and discussion, more importantly. It's all happening in this post-Endgame episode, but first... We better talk about this week's Nerd News. After 67 years and 560 issues, Mad Magazine has effectively been canceled. The series will be transitioning to become a reprint magazine with no new content outside of its covers following October's number 10. Here's a quote from Adam Phillips, DC's manager of comic book specialty marketing. Mad will be leaving the newsstand after issue 9. Mad number 9 will land on newsstands in early August with all new content. Issue 10 will also contain new content and be available only via the direct market and subscriptions. After that, issues will feature reprinted classic Mad pieces with brand new covers. Mad was founded in 1952 by cartoonist Harvey Kurtzman, and publisher William Gaines as a satirical comic book and quickly grew to become the preeminent humor magazine of its time. At its height in 1974, Mad boasted a two-plus million print run with each I'm issue. Say it's not that high anymore. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> DC relaunched Mad with a new number one in 2017 after 550 issues. Uh, they also changed editors, and uh, that was concurrent with their move from New York to Burbank, said editor Dan Teffler has been laid off by the publisher. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, what uh, can you do? Paul Levitz uh, said some stuff that was really nice about it. Uh, and on the brighter side of things, although DC doesn't plan to publish new content in the regular issues, it will have like end of year specials and book projects. Sure. Uh, Mad number nine is scheduled for release October 21st. Number 10 follows October 16th. I have never lived in a world without Mad Magazine. So let's unpack this. And I'm not trying to be a jerk, and I'm not trying to say that I'm glad Mad Magazine is gone. Quite the opposite. I was never like a huge Mad fan. I understand that Mad is very important to the history of comics and satire and whatnot. With that said, which is something I say way too much on this show. Yeah. The sales numbers are not there. And they haven't been for a long time. No, I get it. sales numbers, when they go down, 
you have to make cuts and you have to make changes. And that's just the way the ball bounces. There are people on the internet saying like, oh, this is, this is the new DC, huh? This is what it's like. No, this is business as usual. And Mad has probably been around much longer than it had any right to be. I'm not saying it's good that it's gone. But I also don't really care. <laughs> I mean, part of me does think it's kind of endemic to this new regime at DC. Things are getting slashed left and right. People are afraid to take chances. And yeah, I know the sales aren't great, but it also had subscriptions. It was one of the sure. few things that operated on monthly subscriptions still, at least with the big two. I don't even know if they still offer subscriptions to their comics. Yeah, honestly, I don't know. And Mad was also the sort of thing that you would easily find outside in the outside world, gas stations, yeah, grocery, stores. grocery stores, stuff like that. Sure. So, I'll give you that. And I mean, yes, yes, I agree with you. Uh, you can't put, you can't continue to publish something that's losing money. Right. But we don't know that it was losing money and it just seems like the end of an era, even though I, I don't know. I, I haven't really read every Mad magazine, magazine is losing college. money right now. What's that? Literally every magazine on the stands is losing money right yeah. now. I don't know. And, it it I mean, just kind of sucks. And I'm talking Forbes, GQ, big ones. They're all moving to digital platforms for a reason because they're losing money. I don't know that there is a digital platform for Mad, or maybe that's where it should be. Why? Why not? There's a digital platform for every other digital DC comic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, why not? Why not make it a digital only and see how it does there? I mean, who knows? Yeah, maybe it could do much better. Maybe that's not a whole lot less expensive. I don't really know. I just, I don't think this is as evil and cutthroat as a lot of people are making out to be. I think it's just business. Sure, it's just kind of sad. It's the end of an era, you know? I, I sure. think it's no, worth absolutely. remarking upon. From the Walking Dead desk, surprise! The Walking Dead is over! As originally reported by Bleeding Cool and later confirmed by Image and the issue itself, Robert Kirkman's long-running series, The Walking Dead, has come to a surprise ending. As of last week's issue 193, the issue clocked in at 71 pages for the same $3.99 cover price, so no crying, and focused on a grown-up Carl living in the new world made possible by his father. Before the surprise finale was revealed, The Walking Dead originally solicited two subsequent issues in August and September, 194 and 195, which have since been canceled, although Chip Zdarsky is threatening to put out his new comic book, The Walking Dead, number 194, because he thinks that. it's going to sell very well. <laughs> in a heartfelt letter to his fans... And collaborators, Kirkman stated that the finale had been in the works for a while and that the future solicitations, complete with cover art by Charlie Adler, were a ruse from the beginning, all in order to preserve and surprise. I personally think this is totally kick-ass. It's pretty clever. I really do. It's super clever. And it's exactly what we should expect from The Walking Dead. Think about how many times an issue came out and they just killed a character that you did not see coming at all. Yeah, and but people were upset about it. Just as many times, though, he would announce way in advance that a major character was going to get killed. <laughs> well, sure, but I mean, it didn't start like that. Sure. And I like that we got to a point where he just went, you know what? The end. Done. Deal with it. Yeah. And it's not like this wasn't like The Sopranos, where Tony's having dinner and kind of smiles and everything just goes black. This wasn't like that at all. It was a nice last issue. I read it. It was very sweet. I teared up and. Yeah, and I honestly like hadn't, I don't know, I bet I'm 50 issues behind. I didn't feel lost at all. It was a great standalone story. Carl sort of gets a happy ending. I mean, 
I don't know what more you could ask for here. <laughs> well, what they could ask for is more issues of The Walking Dead. But well, sure. This isn't the first time Kirkman has made an unexpected move like this. Last year, he launched Die, Die, Die with uh, his co-writer Scott Gimple and artist Chris Burnham by just sending retailers stacks of the first issue completely unannounced the day so before cool. it was supposed to come out. So cool. And then he was like, surprise, new title. Look for number two in the next month's previews. Yeah, I, and I love it. I love that he's just like, he's not afraid to mess around with his own stuff. He's not afraid to take chances. He's not afraid to break the rules that we're used to. I love the fake solicitations. I think that kicks ass. Mm-hmm. I love the guy. I love how he carried himself through this, stayed true to his story, and ended it when he felt it was done. I don't think he could have done any better. And this is certainly not unprecedented. Like, uh, DC put out fake solicitations for uh, the Flash comic when they were planning on killing him off. (laughs) Do you remember when Bart got sucked into the Speed Force and then he came out as an adult? And he became the Flash? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was awful. Who was writing that? It was terrible. Who wrote that? Uh, it was the guys that co-created the Flash TV show in 1990. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's yeah, it was completely so bad. Terrible. Uh, but yeah, they solicited fake issues of the Flash when they had every intention of killing him off. Yeah, I love it, man. It's just like, it's like wrestling. It's kayfabe. They tell you things are going to happen, you know, and, and we all go, okay, here we go. And they're like, no, it's not what you thought at all. Yeah. And, like, oh, and it's not I like, hate it. it's not like <laughs> Image and Diamond aren't going to make good on like, oh no, you got to You got it a stack of walking dead comics that was quadruple the size you were expecting and had to pay more shipping. Well, here's a freight right. credit. That's how these things go. And when, chances are you were going to order more of 194 and 195 anyway. So settle down. <laughs> yeah. I think it was a totally clever move. Uh, I can understand why some people might be a little, uh, butthurt about it, but Kirkman's going to Kirkman, man. I did see a couple people online that were like, hmm, I went to pick up Walking Dead 193 and they were all in pull boxes. You know what? You should have pre-ordered your shit. If you want to if you want to read your books, pre-order your stuff and your retailer will get them in your pull box. OK, yes, absolutely. So that is your problem. Finally, Netflix has optioned DC's The Sandman as a live-action show, according to The Hollywood Reporter. The OC and Young Avengers co-creator Alan Heinberg has reportedly signed on as showrunner slash chief writer with Neil Gaiman and David Goyer on board as executive producers. I do love Heinberg, though. I love Heinberg. Look, people get upset about David Goyer's name being on things. His name is on everything. His name is on every DC project, so just get over it. This move would follow Netflix taking over Fox's Lucifer, which itself was a spinoff of the Sandman comic book series and was given new life after cancellation on Fox. Cool. Fix it. (laughs) (laughs) Now fix it. People love that show. You're in the minority. The Hollywood trade cites sources who say this Sandman TV show would be DC's, quote, most expensive TV foray ever. No shit. More expensive than fucking Swamp Thing? (laughs) (laughs) And one that DC's sister company, HBO, which is under the Warner Media umbrella, passed on. Oh. Uh, it reportedly wasn't in consideration for the Warner Media's planned streaming service, which was also announced this week, uh, as selling it to a third party such as Netflix would bring in additional revenue up front. That makes That's sense. HBO Max you're talking about? Is that what that is? HBO Max, yeah. It's going to be right. Warner Media's all-encompassing thing. But it's just Friends, right? That's all they're going to show. Friends. Well, Friends and uh, uh, Westworld and Game of Thrones, yeah. 
Oh, okay, cool, cool. Uh, of course, if you've been following this, The Sandman has been in development as a TV show or a movie, or, hey, why not both, on multiple occasions going all the way back to the mid-90s. No timetable for the new show has been given. It needs to be a TV show. It needs to be I'm, a TV I'm, show, yes. I'm thrilled that they're doing it as a TV show and not a movie. I don't care where it is. I no longer care whether something is going to Netflix or Hulu or whatever, because we're going to get it. We'll, we'll get our filthy little hands on it one way or another. Netflix makes sense. And their little explanation about like, yeah, if we sell it to Netflix, we make more money up front. So we have the money to make the show. Right. Exactly. Whereas if they put it on DC universe or whatever, which who knows what's going on there. I mean, and they, they learn their lesson from swamp thing. They're like, Oh shit, yeah. that shit's expensive. No. And had they sold swamp thing to Netflix, it's a hit. Yeah, it's a hit for sure. More people have access to it. More people see it. They see it's got good reviews and they go, oh, my God, this show rules. Instead, it's canceled. I think this is a positive move. I'm looking forward to it. Neil Gaiman just uh, wrapped up a, a, a hit with Good Omens. Yeah, on he's Amazon. feeling good. So I think they saw the huge hit that Good Omens was. And I think they're going to say, OK, you're in charge. I hope Do so. Do it. That would be good. Show us what you got and get weird with it, man. Show me what go, you got. I hope they go full <laughs> fucking weird here. Uh, I think we can all agree, though. We're all relieved that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is no longer playing Sandman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, I don't know. He could be fine. I don't. I think he could be fine. I just don't want a Sandman movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while painting our fingernails black so we can flirt with Sandman's older sister, Death. She's hot. In that 80s goth way. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover live most Saturdays, where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. It's like AM talk radio, but for nerds and without all the Kamala's not American black talk. That's like the new thing on Twitter right now. It's like, she's not an American black. <laughs> what? It's Yeah, it's like Russian brought, like bots or something trying to start like birtherism on Kamala Harris. <laughs> oh, jeez. So That's call great. us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. And if you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. It is spotlight review time where we unearth two comics for a second coming. Waka, waka, waka. See what I did there? Joe Patrick, I hate puns. Why don't you go ahead and get started? That doesn't sound like the behavior of a guy that hates puns. Yeah, I know. Trying to fit in with the kids. (laughs) All right. This week I'm reviewing Second Coming, number one from Ahoy Comics, written by Mark Russell, with art by Richard Pace, Leonard Kirk, and Andy Troy, letters by Rob Steen, this will be the last time I mention Rob Steen's name. No offense, Rob. <laughs> you did a good job putting letters to this comic. <laughs> it's 32 pages for $3.99. And no, it's got to be more than 32 pages because it's got all that back matter. Here's just a list. Just call it 65 pages. It's at least 40 pages for three ninety nine. Okay. All right. Here's just a list. Ahoy is proud to present for the first time anywhere the series everyone's talking about by award-winning writer Mark Russell and artist Richard Pace, whose credits listed here are Pitt and New Warriors. <laughs> God commands Earth's mightiest superhero, Sunstar, to accept Jesus as his roommate and teach him how to use power in a more powerful way. 
Jesus, shocked at the way humans have twisted his message over two millennia, vows to straighten them out. Mark Russell has made a name for himself, taking silly concepts like the Flintstones and the Wonder Twins and turning them into some of the most brilliant, bitingly satirical books on the stands. And we had beers with him last week. Humble brag. Humble brag. He crashed the CHN meetup, baby. <laughs> now, for the first time, at least in comic book form, Russell sets his sights on religion. Christianity, more specifically, as a disappointed god sends his son Jesus to learn a thing or two from Sunstar, Earth's greatest superhero. Russell doesn't shy away from calling out some of the Bible's sillier concepts. Uh, the shape of the fruit on the tree of knowledge of good and evil was pretty silly. <laughs> Uh, it's packed with humor, both obvious and subtle, and the script is incredibly smart with lots of fun background gags by Richard Pace. Nothing made me laugh harder in this book than Adam realizing he has a dick. Yeah. <laughs> After they it. eat the fruit. <laughs> but Russell spends an inordinate amount of time recapping familiar biblical stories. It felt like kind of a long time to dwell on setup that maybe wasn't entirely necessary. The biblical recap is meant to be narrated by Jesus, but his tone seems a lot more cynical than how he's presented once he gets to Earth. The creative team makes the curious choice to present God and Jesus as white men, even after Jesus is reborn on Earth as an infant in the Middle East. If there is some sort of intended commentary there, Russell doesn't really get into it in this issue. But Jesus looks just like that painting your grandma had hanging in her parlor. And I thought that that was totally hilarious. I think there is definitely commentary there. Yes, they just didn't address it at all. Yeah, they. I, I don't think you even need to. I think it's just there. <laughs> Sunstar is a punch first, ask questions later type of hero, confused as to why Jesus would take the time to heal people he considers quote unquote evil. This allegory of American superhero comics is obvious. But Russell has Jesus flip the script on God's plan to toughen him up by spreading the message that the world will not be saved through power and violence, but by compassion and forgiveness. And it's in this that Russell, as fast and loose as he plays with biblical concepts, kind of nails the point of it all. <laughs> I am constantly confusing Richard Pace with Vertigo legend Richard Case, but they are, in fact, not the same person. <laughs> However, I was really pleased to find out that Pace not only had a brief run on the New Warriors in the 90s, which you all know is one of my favorite things ever, but he also drew one of my favorite times past issues of Starman, issue number 36, which brought the 80s Starman Will Payton in with the larger Starman legacy, and oh. Payton is back, baby, starring in the pages yeah. of Justice League right now. Big time, big time. Now, none of this has anything to do with the quality of his work here, which is outstanding. He handles the biblical pages solo, and his scratchy lines and sepia color palette give the art a kind of hazy memory-like or historical quality. Pace's modern-day Earth pages are finished by the incredible Leonard Kirk, who I love. With colors by Andy Troy, it gives these pages the sheen of a modern-day superhero comic. My biggest complaint about the art is that Sunstar's design is kind of ridiculous. He looks like a dude in a sweatsuit wearing bright red cowboy boots with a cape <laughs> tucked into his collar. 
See, and I think maybe that was commentary as well. Sure, yeah, it might be intentional, <laughs> but it kind of detracted from the idea that he's supposed to be this big-time superhero. A lot of people are going to say a lot of things about Second Coming in the weeks ahead, and many of them will probably have some good insights. All I can say is that while I did have a few issues with it, I loved it overall, and Mark Russell continues to be one of the smartest writers working in comics today, giving it a huge buy it. I'm giving it a huge buy it too, and I could not agree more with Mark Russell. It just I love the way that he writes, yes. and he writes from a smart place where he expects you to also be smart. He's not talking down to you. He's telling heady jokes and doing heady things with his story. The thing that I don't understand is what part of this did DC look at and say, we absolutely can't print that. It's too offensive. Yeah, honestly. There was Other, literally I mean, nothing. Adam and Neve Adam and Neve are, are naked for two pages at the beginning. That's literally right. the worst thing in the book. That's it. That's absolutely it. And we've seen Batman's dick in the pages of fucking black. Well, that was so part I, of the I problem just, to begin with. I, I suppose, but I just don't get it. But and good I for think, a, good for Ahoy though. I think this is a better deal for absolutely. This is a good absolutely. deal for Ahoy, and I think it's a better deal for Mark Russell. And they're going to get press for it, and they're going to sell issues because of that press. And DC missed out here. It's embarrassing what's going on there. A huge buy it for me. Love yeah, it. like Mark Russell, people are going to come at this and be like, Mark Russell, what do you know about religion and Christianity? Mark Russell has literally written two books with Shannon Wheeler adapting biblical scripture. Yes. <laughs> Look it up. And, and I mean, even if you don't read those, he demonstrates right here that he pays attention. Yeah. He the, knows what's going on. The dude knows enough about what he's talking about to come up with his own interpretation. Yes. Speaking of blasphemy, <laughs> let's talk about your review. I don't, I don't know if it was blasphemous, but it was terrible. I was so offended. <laughs> I'm reviewing Unearth, number one from Image Comics. It is yet another horror title from Cullen Bunn, who apparently somebody got to him and kicked him around as a pup or something. I don't know. And Kyle Strom with art by Baldemar Rivas. Letters by Crank. And I just threw that in because I wanted to say his name. Yeah. It's Crank with an exclamation point, by the right. way. He's not just one word. 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Series premiere! When a flesh-warping disease ravages a remote village in Mexico, a scientific task force travels to the inhospitable area to investigate the contamination. Tracing the source of the disease to a nearby cave system, the team discovers a bizarre, hostile ecosystem and a supernatural revelation from which they may never escape. This new subterranean nightmare is by... Yeah, 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 I read this. Suggested soundtrack for this one? The Lost Themes record by John Carpenter. It's several uh, really creepy, like, synthesizer themes that he made for different movies that he just didn't use. So good. Works really well for this. Basically, what you have here is two of the best body horror writers in comics yeah. teaming up to make the ultimate body horror title. And what we got is certainly disturbing. Kyle Strom also worked on Spread, which we reviewed on this show. And Spread is gross. <laughs> if you're yeah. not reading it, you're missing Spread out. Spread is the thing meets Lone Wolf and Cub. It's yes, awesome. pretty much. From the first page, the design of this comic is it's just excellent with Reva's wonderful cover, with eye-popping colors, and one of the main characters split in green flesh with a pink background and the other half in black and white x-ray vision and a gory red background. It gets you ready for what you are about to dig into. Reva's art is at times almost comical and 
borrows from some of my favorite manga masters, but he excels most drawing the disfigured, inflated bodies of the infected in this nightmare comic. His style reminded me of masters like Katashiro Otomo's work on his legendary Akira book, drawing the human form just inflated to ridiculous nightmares circa John Carpenter's remake of The Thing. Bun and Strom write a convincing storyline reminiscent of James Cameron's Aliens. A team of military specialists and scientists are dropped into a situation they can't possibly understand, and I have to wonder how they all aren't going to die in the next issue. <laughs> oh, they're going to die. And it's great. You've got the military team who just wants to shoot everything, and the science team who wants to try and understand everything, but at the same time, they're scared of what they're seeing. Unearth was brutal, feel-bad comic booking that excels in a sense of hopeless dread. It's a kind of book that spits in the face of titles like The Walking Dead and dares you to care about any of the characters. Sit back, put on your favorite Funeral Doom record, and shiver while reading this new nightmare. It was so gross. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, We've talked about this on the show. Bun excels when he's doing what he does best, which is Mm -hmm. independent, scary as hell. And just working it as creepiest, you know? Yeah. Uh, And I thought it was great. I did think that the art got a little cartoony in places. Reva's art, um, especially during like action scenes where characters are moving, but definitely he, he sort of goes for this like hyper, almost caricature. Right. And when it's just, and when it's just character moments, like when we first see the the science team and when we first see the infected, I'm like, oh, shit, that's yucky. Yeah. Um, but then it did lose a little bit for me when it's like, OK, now the giant blob monsters tunneling through the wall. Um, but still very good overall. I thought it was creepy. Uh, it, it revels in its, you know, h- horror movie tropes. You know, you've got the the science guy, the military guy. The strategist guy, the whatever right. guy, and like the yeah. old grumpy colonel and the plucky female scientist. And yeah, yeah, the 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 vapist uh, colonel. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm giving it a buy it as well. I really enjoyed it. So that is a double buy it for second coming number one and a double buy it from Earth number one. We will post our written reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com so you can read about our blasphemy for years to come. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics, too. So call us this weekend on THN, cover to cover. Tell us we're going to hell. We want to hear from you. That's right. It's next weekend. weekend. I have to work this weekend. I apologize. Next weekend. Speaking of weekends, this past weekend, Matt and I watched the U.S. Women's World Cup team dismantle their challengers from the Netherlands. And to celebrate, the two of us dyed our hair purple and are actively raising money for the Megan Rapinoe 2020 presidential campaign. So, nerds, if you want real change, we ask you to reach deep into your pockets and donate to a campaign that not only promises to score on every foreign adversary, but do it with equal pay for men and women alike. While we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Pretty impressive to do all that in one take. That was good. Giant Size Ecstatics number one from Marvel. 
Back in 2001, Marvel editor-in-chief Joe Quesada and former Vertigo editor Alex Alonzo took over Marvel's X titles and hired Peter Milligan and Mike Alred to give readers the weirdest and one of my favorite X experiments <laughs> in X-Men history. This one shot took me right back to Milligan and Alred's series. I loved so much back in the day. It is a perfect mix of what if the X-Men were celebrity wrestlers fighting their battles on pay-per-view with the wonderful, wonderful art of Mike Alred. I still have a massive crush on Dead Girl and Giant Size X-Statics gets a buy it. Gross. By the way, all the ecstatic stuff is still in print. And if you loved Alred's Silver Surfer, you will love this even more. Go pick it up. Batman Universe number one from DC! This is the first batch of Walmart-exclusive Batman tales now available in comic shops. The Riddler leads Batman on a wild goose chase that causes him to cross paths with the likes of Deathstroke, Green Arrow, and Young Justice's Genie Hex. Brian Michael Bendis scripts with phenomenal art by Doom Patrol's Nick Darrington. That so dude good. is so talented. Yeah, he's so good. It's light and fun. I like it. My Batman Universe number one gets to buy it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Wolverine, Captain America, Weapon Plus, number one from Marvel. I went on record last week talking about how much I love the idea that Graham Morrison introduced that the Super Soldier program that created Cap became the Weapon Plus program that created Wolverine. Morrison's Phantom X, another graduate of the Weapon Plus program, and another Morrison character I love, also shows up here from Beyond the Grave. But... It's with no explanation in the story that makes almost no sense, and it does nothing to expound upon the idea that I truly loved. Dodge. Nice art by Diogenes Nevs, but it's not enough to give this title any more than a skimmit. Can we please talk for a second about how Man-Thing is one of these weapons? Yeah, I, that's, that's... And Venom? I don't remember... What? I don't, I don't remember when that was introduced, but it was introduced. Well, this uh, like, Man-Thing... Man Thing was a direct result of them, of him trying to recreate the Super Soldier Serum. That's canon. Right, right, but not Weapon Plus. It's new to me. Yeah, I don't know. Invisible Woman, number one from Marvel because you demanded it, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I did. Mark Wade returns to the world of the Fantastic Four with this heretofore unknown aspect of Sue Storm's history. She was a secret S.H.I.E.L.D. spy. What? Yeah. It sounds like it should be great in theory, but Wade's story moves kind of slow, and something about this just seems so at odds with Sue's character. Yeah, she's not a spy. Come in on. fact, the characters spend a good deal of time in the issue talking about exactly that. Well, that's just it. We wouldn't, if she's a really good spy, we would have never hey. thought about nice it. Suppose, like, Julia yeah. Child worked for the CIA, and we're like, what? <laughs> Madia de Ilius does a lovely job on the art, though. Invisible Woman number one is okay. I just don't know if I buy into the premise, so I'm giving it a skim it. Ghosted in LA, number one from Boom. Writer Cena Grace tells the story of a young girl who follows her high school boyfriend to college in Southern California, only to get dumped and then wander into a haunted estate with a pool. The story and a dialogue tried as hard as they could to be cute and funny, but came off as cloying and sometimes just goddamn awkward. Siobhan Keenan's art was fine and reminded me of Sailor Moon mangas, but the story and dialogue just didn't work at all. I'm probably the wrong audience, but this just was not well written. I'm giving it a leave it. I do not care for Cena Grace. 
I don't think I do either. Reaver, number one from Image. Luther Strode writer Justin Jordan's new project is a high fantasy mashup of The Suicide Squad and The Dirty Dozen, featuring a group of condemned criminals, deserters, murderers, and monsters tasked with infiltrating a neighboring kingdom during the height of their magical arms race. It seemed like an awful lot of characters and locations to keep track of at first, but it all clicks as the team is being formed. The characters are great, Rebecca Isaacs' art is absolutely fantastic. I loved Reaver number one. Huge buy it. There was something super 90s about this book, but it worked so well. Really? It was fun. 90s? Man. I didn't get that impression. That's just the way I felt with this many characters and the team, and it all gets thrown together, you know? Sure, like, oh man. I loved it. Strangelands number one from Humanoids H1. The Humanoids H1 superhero universe is off to a bit of a strange That's start. That's how you have to say it. Yeah. H1. <laughs> Strangeland seems to pick up on chapter five. There's a brief intro that should bring the reader up to speed, but instead left me wondering if there were several chapters I missed. While the story wasn't bad, it felt like diving into issue 10 with no explanation as to who the two main characters were, where their powers came from, how they work, you know, little things like that. Maybe this can be marked up to a shipping problem for a book that should have been released first, where we met these fucking characters, but I found it impossible to get invested at all. I'm giving this a leave. Well, the only thing I can think of is the free comic book day special, but... But I read that! It and wouldn't have devoted that much there. time to those characters. They weren't even there! I don't know! <laughs> uh, Black Hammer Justice League! Hammer of Justice! It should have been Hammer of Black Justice. Come on! <laughs> Number one. That's the title of the show, by the way. Hammer of Black Justice. Yeah, all right. Dark Horse slash DC. Together again. Jeff Lemire and artist Michael Walsh team up for this timeless tale that brings together the world's greatest superheroes and the inhabitants of Black Hammer Farm. Or does it? What? Everything you need to enjoy this issue is given to you, so don't feel like you have to miss out if, like me, you're not current on either book. Lemire's script is the fun mix of mystery and superhero action you've come to expect from Black Hammer, and Walsh's art and vibrant colors are fantastic. As though there could be any doubt, Black Hammer, Justice League number one, gets a huge buy it. It was so goddamn good. It was really fun. Crack, 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 boom, crash, tinkle. That is your ludicrous <laughs> speed round, and crack, 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 boom, crash, tinkle is the sound of Wally West creating sonic booms with every step after being Tinkle. injected with Velocity 9 by Vandal Savage, as seen in the pages of The Flash number 14 from 1988. Tinkle. <laughs> okay. You know, it's glass. It's glass breaking. But it's <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Adam Wednesday via Facebook. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can tinkle it all over any of our social media accounts. Mm. Or shoot a, Yeah, you get it. Or shoot an email <laughs> to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Yeah, he's talking about potty. Pia, yeah. potty. <laughs> this week in the Sanctum Sanctorum, we've just finished binging Stranger Things Season 3. And summon the spirit of poor Barb, who is left to die in the Upside Down, way back in season one, to discuss how she felt about the new season. Hated it! And what we're excited to read next week, Joe, would you have guessed Barb was completely invested in the Age of X-Men crossover? I'm stunned, because nobody is. She, I know! She can't get enough! What are you reading next week? 
My pick for next week has to be Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number one of 12, from DC Comics, written by Matt Fraction, with art by Steve Lieber. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. Jimmy Olsen must die! Wait, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Jimmy Olsen lives! Superman's best friend and Daily Planet photographer Jimmy Olsen tours the bizarre underbelly of the DC Universe in this new miniseries featuring death, destruction, giant turtles, and more. It's a centuries-spanning whirlwind of weird that starts in Metropolis and ends in Gotham City, and then we kill Jimmy. <laughs> this is going to be great. I am very excited. <laughs> this is going to be great. Matt, what's your pick? My pick is Quiet Kind, number one from Dark Horse. It's written by Chuck Brown with art by Jeremy Treese and Kelly Williams, cover by Michael Cho. I love Michael Cho. I've been yeah. following that guy for a long time. Stupid talented. 64 pages for $5.99. I wasn't totally sure, and I don't have complete confirmation, but I think this is starting a superhero book or a group of books that Chuck Brown is putting out. I, I don't have know not seen anything why other, this, that. other than this one <laughs> shot. I don't know why you think I that. I think it is. Here's your solicit. A child suddenly imbued with the powers of ancient gods is visited by a band of similarly gifted children. Will young Solomon hone his skills with the others, or will he risk unraveling existence and use his raw control over reality just to get his revenge on some bullies? Writer Chuck Brown, who did Bitter Root, tells two tales of power, revenge, and empathy with a main story illustrated by Jeremy Treese, who worked on Mandrake the Magician, which was actually pretty good over at Dynamite, and a bonus story illustrated by Kelly Williams, who works on creepy comics. I don't know Kelly Williams, but I do know Jeremy Treese. He's very good. We both like Chuck Brown. We both liked Bitter Root. I went and revisited it after I contacted Joe earlier today and said, hey, did you like that? And he said, yeah, I did. And I read it and I was like, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, he co-wrote it. He co-writes it with uh, David Walker, right? David Walker. Yes, correct. And I'm hoping this starts something. I, I just find it hard to believe that this is just a one shot with this many big ideas involved. Well, I guess it will depend on how many people read it. <laughs> I suppose that's true. The THN Trade of the Week goes to The Adventure Zone, Volume 2, Murder on the Rockport Limited, graphic novel from First Second, written by the McElroy family with art by Carrie Peach. It's 240 pages for $19.99 for softcover or $26.99 for hardcover. That's Either right. One. You have a choice. Both deal. Here's your solicit. Hot on the heels of The Adventure Zone, here there be Gerblins, the smash hit graphic novel that launched the series. Murder on the Rockport Limited picks up the saga where Volume 1 left off. You should Both. read it like Dungeon Master from the old uh, cartoons. I don't remember his voice. Here is your solicit. <laughs> I, can't, I can't sustain that. Both books are based on The Adventure Zone, a tabletop RPG comedy podcast with downloads neighboring in the tens of millions and an army of passionately devoted fans who, quite frankly, can sometimes be insufferable. We rejoin hero-adjacent Sword of Comrades in Arms, Taco, Magnus, and Merle on a wild careen through a D&D railroad murder mystery. This installment has a little bit of everything. A genius child detective, an axe-wielding professional wrestler, a surly wizard, cursed magical artifacts, and a pair of meat monsters. It's true. I forgot about the meat monsters, yeah. You know, it's just the usual things you find on a train. And, like I said at the top, it's available in both softcover and hardcover editions. Now, you know what? Everybody loved this but me. Everybody yep. did. And I admit I'm wrong. I admit it. I'm fine. And, I'm uh, wrong. I am excited for this, especially because Murder on the Rockport Limited is my favorite arc of the Adventure Zone. It's, it's wonderful. So yeah, good. It, it's wonderful. 
These are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your LCS. Joe, what's that stand for? Local comic shop. Man, that is cool. Next week, but we want to hear about everything you're excited to read. Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you would like to hear us review on the show. We get stuck in our little superhero ruts reading all these bad girl Xenoscope comics and like, you know, uh, <laughs> zombie tramp and shit, you know, because we love that stuff. I and do. We know I, I just love does. zombie tramp so danger much. Danger Doll. That's really your jam, isn't it? Yeah, Danger Doll's good. <laughs> yep, yep. And don't forget to pre-order all your picks every week. It's a perfect way to not have to bitch about missing the final issue of Walking Dead. Or the next to last issue of The Walking Dead, which was very important. Yeah, true. In the wake of Avengers Endgame, Tom Holland once again put on the Spidey PJs to make us all feel better. That hmm. means it's time for Nerd at the Movies, the Spider-Man Far From Home Edition. Now, Joe, rather than getting too far into just plain old review world, because I have a feeling we both completely love this, yeah. I would rather just sort of discuss some things that happen in the movie that are probably going to steer the Marvel Universe. What, what surprised you? Let's start there. Right. What surprised well, you about the new Well, let's Spider-Man? start off by saying we're probably going to talk spoilers here. Yeah, big time spoilers. So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie yet, first of all, there's something wrong with you. You need to examine that. <laughs> but go ahead and break your digital listening device now. Okay, uh, go. I was expecting more about what society has gone through. I was too. They kind of just that ran was, with it and barely mentioned it. They really glanced over it. They, like, I mean, they oh, talked yeah, about there. So they talked about uh, Thanos's action. They call it the blip. The blip, which, which is I great. like. Uh, <laughs> And so, yeah, of course, they talk about the people that disappeared and then came back. They address the fact that some characters that did not get blipped are now five years older, like Brad, uh, one of the uh, uh, one of Peter's rivals in the movie, who was a little kid last time you saw him. (laughs) Uh, He was like somebody's little brother. Yeah. Right. Like everybody thought he was like a little nerd. And now he's super hot. (laughs) Right. Yeah. He's like a hot jock. There was all this speculation at the end of Endgame where we see Peter going to school and reuniting with Ned. Like, that can't be a normal school, right? That's got to right. be some sort of special school for kids that got snapped. Nope. And it's not. It's just high school. It's just high school. And, oh, and they do mention I that they are, making, they are making kids um, retake the entire school year. Right. <laughs> Which, and they're, like, pissed. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I, I will say, like, let's call it what it is. 50% of the population in the world vanishes. The world goes fucking insane. Not just the it vanishing like, part, having them all reappear suddenly at once. That's my next part. When they come back, the world goes fucking insane again. Right. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and I got to say, New York looked pretty okay. Like, it, yeah, it, everything real seemed bad. okay. Italy yeah, seemed okay. Like, Europe usual. seemed okay. Yeah. So they've had some time to reacclimate, and right. Aunt May talks about how she was one of the ones that got blipped, and she showed up in her old apartment, and somebody else was living there. Yeah. So they do, like, they pay lip service to it, but they don't dwell on it. No. To be completely fair to the film, I quickly forgot about that. I did too. And I think, 
Marvel either had to lean into that and be like, this is the greater story we're telling, that the Earth is now completely screwed after this happened, or we're not interested in telling that story. We're interested in telling other stories, so we're just going to move along. I will say, the opening of this movie (laughs) is a wonderful sequence that is the in-school news program. It's so good. With Betty Brant and the other kid. And yeah. uh, they do they do an Oscars style in memoriam uh, <laughs> set to the tune of I will always love you. <laughs> uh, but it's like so it's so high school half assed. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all like video toaster sweeps. Yeah. And like comic sans fonts. Uh, <laughs> like uh, here, here's normal picture, normal picture, like Tony Stark, Black Widow. Captain America, and then a really blurry picture of the vision. Yeah. And a Getty <laughs> Images <laughs> stock photo that they didn't bother to take the watermark off of. Yeah. It was brilliant. Brilliant. So, what else surprised you? They were like, I, we had a lot of theories about Mysterio. Yes. I think we all knew he's going to be a bad guy. I, there was never a question in my mind that he was going to be a bad guy. There was never a question in my mind that he was going to end up being a bad guy, but I did wonder how they were going to do it. Yeah, like, they for- definitely, they hinted a lot at this, like he's from another earth, he's from a parallel uni- world. And we got, before the movie came out, there was all these rumors that like, oh man, they just opened the Marvel multiverse. And yeah, da, right. da, da, da. And then they instantly shut it down. Yeah, then it was all <laughs> bullshit. Um, it was great, though. Slowly. The way they did it was wonderful. <laughs> and so, of course, Kevin Feige's out, out there giving interviews saying, well, just because Mysterio was lying doesn't mean the multiverse isn't real. It's like, Settle okay. Down. Okay, don't Kevin, listen. great. Don't uh, listen to any of them. Don't no, listen to they're, they're liars. All don't listen liars. to them. Yes. <laughs> Until it shows up on screen, don't trust anyone at yeah, Marvel Studios. They'll lie to your mother. They don't care. They think it's funny. Uh, So, yeah, Mysterio was totally full of shit. But for a while, I thought, like, ooh, well, maybe he really is the Mysterio of another Earth and he's a hero. But there is an Earth 616, Quentin Beck. And I thought maybe they do, like, an evil double situation. Nah, I never believed it. But no, it's just, just like, the story is, Quentin Beck was a guy that got screwed over by Tony Stark. He's super mad about it. And he recruited a bunch of other people that got screwed over by Tony Stark. Yeah. And they literally shut down the multi, like the multiverse thing in like one line where he's like congratulating everybody on his team. And he's like, and Susan, who came up with that stupid story about Earth 616 that is just like perfect for idiots to believe right now after this blip <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> you know? Like, it was yeah. so great. <laughs> uh, and uh, an, another surprise was they actually took the time to tie it back into past Marvel movies. Yeah. So like. One of the guys on Mysterio's team was Peter Billingsley, yeah, who got yelled at in Iron Man One by Obadiah Stane. Yep, little kid from a Christmas story. Little kid from a Christmas story, right? Uh, one of them was, uh, and I think most of them were were not characters we actually saw, but no, like no. I think one of them got one of them tied into Iron Man two or three. I, be- I believe two of them were actually characters that we saw in movies, and yeah. the others. They sort of smashed in there, yeah. which was fine, though, because it left me wondering, like, oh, fuck, did I miss that guy? Did I miss that girl? Right. You know, like, I don't know. Now I got to go back and watch Iron Man 2 again and see if that's there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So it was totally rad how they did that. I, I, I really loved that twist, which really, like you said, wasn't really that big of a twist because he's Mysterio. 
Yeah. They tricked us. The twist was that they tricked us into believing he was legit. Yes, which was so great. It was right there in front of us the whole time. If you know anything about Mysterio and you know what he does, he this is he's a special effects guy. He is a liar. Yeah. He comes up and he fools you and he makes you think he's more powerful than he is and everything. And we sat through in the theaters going like, mm, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> like, but we, and then all of a sudden like, nope, it's God damn it, you yeah. assholes. He's exactly what we knew he was. Uh, <laughs> and so, I mean, the rest of the movie from that point progresses like you would expect. Peter... Peter makes a big mistake. He trusts Mysterio when he shouldn't. He turns over this very powerful technology that was very irresponsibly bequeathed to him by Tony yes. Stark. Yes. He is 16 years old, Tony. Do not yeah. give him control over a drone network. <laughs> okay, so let's let's just get the two biggest surprises, which obviously in a Marvel movie always come either during or after the credits. First credit cookie. The first credit cookie was um, was Peter and Mary Jane and MJ. Her name is not Mary Jane. Um, in back in New York, and he takes. What her is her s- name? It's not Mary Jane. No, her name is Michelle. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember. And then at the end of Homecoming, she says, "My friends call me MJ." Oh, yeah. No, I didn't. I, I forgot. Yeah. Uh, so he takes her swinging around New York City for the first time. Uh, it does not go well. She hates it. It's adorable uh, though. It was adorable. Yes, their romance is so cute. It is the cutest. Uh, the scene ends with a surprise report from J. Jonah Jameson of the DailyBugle.com, played by J.K. Simmons. Yeah, wonderful. Just wonderful. Such You're not going to find treat. anyone that's going to do it better, you know? So I am so glad they were just like, fuck it. Yeah, we're not getting anybody better than this. <laughs> it has yeah. to be him. <laughs> I love great. it. He, he looks a little different. He's a little bit balder. He's kind of taking the role that he gravitated towards in the comics where he becomes like an Alex Jones type. Right. Conspiracy shock jock. Minus all the, you know, like uh, yeah, yeah, denying, right. denying school shootings. And shit. Yeah, 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 right. As if that were not big enough, it ends with him revealing that Mysterio sent out a dying declaration edited to make it look like Spider-Man killed him. And outing him as Peter Parker. Again, so perfectly Mysterio. But what the hell, man? What does this mean for the next movie? Well, what does this mean for the next Marvel movie? Well, here's the other thing. Peter Parker is not Tony Stark. He is just a kid. Right. You know, from Brooklyn. So it's not like the world knows who he is. Or from Queens, sorry. Yeah. But the world will start looking for him now, certainly. So I sure, think he's yeah. got to go, like, underground. He's going to have to go full Spider-Man and disappear. Ah, man. They spent the whole movie doing this whole, like, oh, Tony Stark, you know, picked you. He, he wanted you to follow in his footsteps. And you're the next Tony Stark and we and all that. And then Tony Stark in the end of the first Iron Man comes out and he's like, you know what? I'm Iron Man and tells everybody. And in the end of this one, they're like, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. And he goes, Oh fuck. (laughs) It was just like polar opposites. It was great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was a great surprise moment. But then at the end of the credits, we get to see, uh, Nick Fury and Maria Hill, uh, driving. And suddenly they transform into Talos and his wife from Captain Marvel, the Skrulls. Right. The Skrull couple, yes. Uh, and then you start to realize, oh, you know what? Nick Fury was kind of off in this movie. 
Like, there's no yeah, way he, that real Nick Fury would have believed Mysterio. <laughs> yeah, and his performance was even a little strange. Like, a, yeah. it was like I remember thinking, I don't know if Samuel Jackson's just hamming it up or right. what the deal is there or trying to be funny, but that's kind of not working for me. Yeah. And then when he did turn into a scroll, I realized they totally did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> they were trying to give you clues. And now the fun thing will be rewatching that movie and trying to figure out how he's different. I read something online and I want to say it was at IO nine. Uh, it may have been Buzzfeed. I can't remember. I think it was Buzzfeed, but one of the article was saying how after the writer saw that he freaked out and went back and started watching a bunch of movies to see like, no, wait a minute. How long sure. has Nick Fury been gone? And he was talking about how in one of the Avengers movies in the first Avengers movie, when Nick turns to dust, right? He's with Colby Smulders, and she turns to him, and she calls him Nick to get his attention. And then in Captain Marvel, he plainly says, nobody calls me Nick. Everyone calls me Nicholas. And then he had all these different no, scenes of people addressing yeah, yeah. Fury or Nicholas. And then they had all these scenes of people referring to him as Fury or Nicholas and Fury and Nicholas. And then there's this one scene of Colby Smulders turning to him and going, Nick, <laughs> like, and it was it's like, and then his head blew up. All <laughs> like, right, what well, does this mean? I, I think I think that Samuel L. Jackson was still Samuel L. Jackson up to the end of Infinity War. I think so because too. Talos and his wife left Earth at the end of right. Captain it does, Marvel. It, not, it doesn't make any sense otherwise. Not to otherwise. say they couldn't have come back at some point, but sure, but it doesn't I, make any sense otherwise. And obviously, like at the end of Infinity War, I can see him being like, yeah, I'm taking a goddamn vacation. Yeah, I need a little break. So, yeah, at the end of Endgame. Endgame. I keep saying Infinity War. Yeah, you do. Uh, Fury decides to take a break. And it's kind of played for laughs. But what you see is Talos contacting the real Nick Fury and saying, hey, you know, we had some hiccups with this mission, but we think he's on the right track, blah, blah, blah. It was really great, too. But <laughs> the way he explains it, like, he just sort of lays out the whole movie. He's like, oh, there's this Mysterio guy. Things went off the rails a little bit. Yeah, but, right, I, you yeah. know, I, you know, <laughs> but then, but then the camera pulls back and you're like, oh, Nick is on a beach somewhere. But no, he's not on a beach. It's like a hologram or whatever. And it pulls back even farther. And he is on a goddamn space station surrounded by scrolls. Yeah. And they are working like he's like, it's time to get back to work. What yeah, they're are building they working something. on? Where are they? What are they building? Is this sword? Because mm. that's what everyone's asking now. Is this know. Nick Fury establishing sword as Earth's first defense against space threats? I hadn't thought of that. Uh, there's, or, also, or there's also talk. Um, is it Alpha Flight? It's not Alpha Flight. That's There's, where Carol worked for a yes, while. Yes, I know, but that's don't. stupid that Alpha Flight is in space and we both agree I don't have that. a problem with it. I do not have a problem with it. If it turns out to be Alpha Flight and I get Sasquatch and Puck, oh my God, and Box is there, oh my God, <laughs> go <You> nuts. <laughs> that's another thing is that Scroll Fury and Maria talk about Cree uh, splinter cells or right. something. So now there's a lot of talk that they're setting up the next phase and the next phase is going to be definitely cosmic based and it might have to do with the Kree scroll war. I have a feeling it does. I have a feeling it does. And it's I, eternal shit will spin perfectly into that feeding into like the whole 
wider cosmic universe and stuff. Oh, man. I have a feeling it's Kree Scroll War time. Yeah, it's just this movie set up so many plot threads and casually so. Here's like the that, thing. that thing with Can Fury you, at the end, that was played off as a joke. Right. It's not a joke. It's, it's not a joke. Huge. And can you do the Kree Scroll War without Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor? Well, we still have Thor. Right. And I mean, we have a new Captain space. America. That's true. I guess that's true. And we have Rhodey still. Yeah, but he's War Machine. He ain't no Iron Man. No, I get it, but I just... I mean, obviously it'll be different. Like, these, these movies have never been a direct adaptation of anything. Of course. But it's just the implications of, of this movie are huge for the next Marvel phase. Right. And I'm so hyped for what, whatever is next. I am too. And I think you could easily, you know what? I, I take it back. I think you could easily slip Carol into that role for the Kree scroll war. Oh, sure. Carol, of course. And, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah. That Captain Marvel is there and like the Kree are pissed at her and they think she's a traitor. She helped the scrolls. We're going to go kick her ass. We so, saw what, we, what she can do. You know what we're going to do? We're going to show up with our own fucking badass badasses that can handle her. And we're going to hook up with the Shi'ar and bring the Imperial Guard. And the Guardian's going to handle this. Wow! <laughs> so here's a fun thought. <clears throat> oh, I'd watch the shit out of that. <laughs> here's a fun thought. Before we find out that Fury is a scroll, and Peter is talking to him, and he's like, I'm just a kid. I work in the neighborhood. Why don't you call somebody else? Why don't you call the Avengers? The Avengers right. are on. Oh, oh, call Thor. Thor's off world. Call Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is unavailable. Call Captain Marvel. And then Talos, as Nick, Nick Fury says, don't invoke her name. Yeah. Is that because he's mad at her or because they revere her? I think it's out of sheer reverence. Because invoke is kind of she's a very sa- specific. Yeah. She saved them. Connotation. I mean, she single handedly saved them and went into space to help them rejoin their people you know like so i think she is full-on messiah it's like saying it's like saying don't take jesus's name in vain yeah or like why don't you call jesus like jesus is busy doing jesus shit so don't you dare (laughs) you know (laughs) you know what i mean jesus is busy doing jesus shit yeah i don't think he's mad about it at all i think it was more along the lines of like and you know what that was a huge hint yeah it was a huge hint that was a massive hint fury wouldn't have said that he would just said she's busy or whatever. Yeah. Man, I, I loved this movie. I loved it. I loved it. It's got, but it opened, but, it opened a can of worms. It did. No it did. Question. And it's got, yes, it's got a lot of like weird connotations. Like why they made such a big deal about Tony turning his life around in the original Iron Man movies. Why is he building a network of killer drone satellites? Why is he giving them to a teenager? Well, I don't like, know that he was building. I mean, he built a network of drones, and I think they could be used for multiple things. He gave he, Spider-Man a suit with an instant kill function. Yeah, but that was. I mean, but that was like what Tony was doing at the time. No, he, you know, like he was building whole, weapons. His whole character arc was learning the error of his ways, being a weapons dealer. Sure, but he also knew that there's times where you need to be able to kill shit. Otherwise, he would not have put on the glove and killed himself. And murdered, you know, Thanos and stuff, too. Yeah, you know, I suppose. Like, I suppose. He understands that. He's not Captain America. He is that balance where he realizes, like, Cap is the soldier and the Boy Scout. 
I make the hard decisions. Sure. Sometimes you got to have a bunch of drones to make that hard decision for you. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I get it. It's just, uh, but I also get people that might have some criticisms. Uh, but I, I thought this movie was a joy. The thing that pisses me off is all the people that are putting out lists of best Spider-Man movies, and they're putting this below Spider-Man 3. Yeah, no. That sorry. is sheer no. insanity. Now, I will, I will grant you insanity. I think that I probably enjoyed Homecoming a little bit more. There was something a little bit more too. special about it. I think I did too, but I want to see this one again, and I think after second viewing, I'm going to love it even more. Yes, and I want to know what happens now with Peter's street-level villains now that yes. they know his identity, because That's if you remember thing. homecoming post credit sequence ends with Mac Gargan confronting the vulture in prison saying, do you know Spider-Man's identity? And he says, no, he lies. That's not all. Don't forget the end of venom where we go into the prison <laughs> and red venom is there, you know, <laughs> red venom. Yeah. Uh, go see this movie. It's totally great. It's a ton of fun. It is so much better than Spider-Man 3, okay? You're yes. just wrong. Look, I, you, I'm talking to you. You're wrong, okay? <laughs> look, I loved the Sam Raimi movies when they were coming out, but even I at, at the time, Spider-Man 3 was not good. I did not love Spider-Man 3. We all walked out, like, just like, Ugh. Right. Ugh. This was not like a Star Wars episode one where we walked out and we're like, was that good? I think that was good. That felt like it was good, right? <laughs> and then two weeks later, we're like, that wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 536. And 537 is looking doubtful, seeing as the Spider-Man 3 lovers are lining up at the door with pitchforks and axes. Joe, I'm going to batten down the hatches. Why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? Well, this question of the week is the old question of the week because we skipped last week. It was submitted by Ryan Hebrews Mount via the THN forums. Let's call it the question of a couple weeks. The question of a couple <laughs> weeks, at least three weeks, because you get one more week to noodle on it again. If you could go back in time and pick up a comic book story from any point, what would you choose and how would you do things differently? This question was inspired by the new Terminator and the recent Halloween movies picking up from their most successful installments and totally ignoring everything that came afterwards. I mean, you kind of had to with Halloween. It, whew. Retcon I mean, City, baby. They could have just fixed Terminator, though. They really could have. They could have just fixed it. No, they, could they were said, too no, far fuck gone. That. We're going back at a certain point in time, and we're going to start from here, and the movie's going to carry on from there. And like, oh, remember? Oh, because they had three, four, and five. All this bad shit happened. We can't let that happen. They were too <laughs> far gone, Matt. Just embrace Ugh. the reboot. Whatever. If you're new to this show and you would rather watch a young emo Tobey Maguire dance down the street for an hour, then give us another listen, I assure you. It is only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. And that archive, it is huge. So we want to thank donors like longtime THN supporter Richard Kovars, who sounds like he could be part of a Cree splinter cell, right? Yeah. K-O apostrophe V-A-R. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to John Littrell, who's been blowing up our Twitter feed with new Question of the Week suggestions these past couple weeks. I have yet to use a single one of them, but I still appreciate it. Word to you, buddy. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics 
or your retailer might just burn your wiener. This is the Two-Headed Nerd <laughs> signing off. That's a podcast throwback joke. Yeah, it's a podcast. If you know, then you know. Yeah. If you don't, too bad, sucker. <laughs>